from Television City in Hollywood. Welcome to what could essentially be called episode number 99.5, The River, of the Keep It To Yourself podcast, the most above average podcast ever to hit your ear holes. My name, of course, and as always, is Jason Bullitt. And that sound you hear, I don't know if you heard it, but it's probably a sign that life is still going on, even in the midst of a coronavirus slash COVID-19 pandemic. I'm coming to you from Bullet House on Wednesday, the 8th of April, 2020. Great to be back, somehow. I'm not at work. I've been laid off because of the pandemic. My workplace is one of those non-essential businesses, and it's going to be quite a while before I get back in the swing of things before all this madness began. I've been holding up pretty well, all things considered. And if you're one of those who really don't fit in that category, this is a good time as any, if ever, than to check on your mental health. Make sure you have a great support system, family, friends. If you live by yourself for some reason, you got a pet, that's good. If you have family that checks up on you every now and again, that's good too. Check in with everybody during this time. Now, I wanted to have something special, and I thought of this at the spur of the moment. By the way, before we go any further, it is the 8th of April. Uh, Passover begins tonight. It's going to be differently celebrated than in past years. I also want to take this opportunity to wish all of you a happy Easter as well. Ditto on that. But I thought of this at spur of the moment. I just re-downloaded the Kindle app on my iPhone, which is also the recording device how I'm getting this podcast out to you. And one of the books I was reading on that Kindle was called Nathan Rabin, My Year of Flops. This is where Nathan Rabin, a writer at the time with the AV Club, I think he still is. I'm not sure to be honest with you. He has his own website. Just go support his Patreon. I'll put the link up for it. And many, many, many years ago, it seems like, he was a writer at the AV Club. And he did a series called My Year of Flops, which he made into that book. In July of 2007, which seems like ages ago now, he went on the AV Club to discuss a movie that has a tangential tie to your humble host. It's a movie called Paint Your Wagon, a 1969 Western musical. That little bit of personal trivia for you. The person that would become my dad had begun dating the person that had become my mom. My dad was still in the Navy at the time. And for their first day on Valentine's Day 50 years ago, 1970, they went and saw this movie. I didn't know at the time, but it was kind of a flop. Nathan Rabin put fingers to keyboard, and he scratched out this little review as only he put it. This is called My Year of Flops Case File Number 50, Paint Your Wagon, as it was written and put on the Onions AV Club website on July 17, 2007. The text is as follows. An entire generation knows Josh Logan's Paint Your Wagon primarily as the movie The Simpsons Rent, expecting a typical Clint Eastwood bloodbath. Only to discover, much to their shock and horror, a toe-tapping musical about the fun of painting wagons. Bart cheers up upon Lee Marvin's arrival, proclaiming, Here comes Lee Marvin. He's always drunk and violent. Only to watch and disgust as Marvin begins singing about painting wagons as well. In a weird way, the Simpsons' gonzo spoof of Paint Your Wagon has usurped Logan's original the same way the semi-beloved Looney Tunes picture Foghorn Leghorn 
It's outlasted and eclipsed the once popular but now relatively obscure radio character, Senator Claghorn. That's from the Fred Allen Show, Kenny Delmar. He spoofed. Alas, the real Paint Your Wagon is far stranger than the Simpsons parody suggests. Paint Your Wagon represents an odd marriage of convenience between the manliest, the western, and girliest, the musical, cinematic genres. It's a ragingly homoerotic film about a three-way marriage and two cowpokes who just can't quit each other even after a fetching little lassie gets the way of their partnership. Not Brokeback Mountain for sure, that's for sure. In a rambunctious lead performance, Lee Marvin plays, of all things, a drunken, lovable scoundrel who teams up with Clint Eastwood after he discovers gold while burying Eastwood's brother. Marvin makes it clear from the get-go that his conception of partnership is as much emotional as financial. So he expects Eastwood to solace, in air quotes, him when he's feeling melancholy, pick him up when he's lying in the mud dead drunk, and lovingly caress his mutton chops while wearing a purdy dress when the black dog of depression is hot on his trail. Okay, that last part is a bit of an exaggeration, but you don't have to run a Brokeback Mountain fan site to detect a tender homoerotic subtext to Marvin and Eastwood's friendship. In this relationship, Marvin is clearly the dominant one. Eastwood's nickname, Partner, conveys his fragile state of dependency. It's as if he'd shrivel up and disappear if he didn't have a strong-willed chum to rely on. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. In no-name city, 400 lonely, horny men pine desperately for the civilizing touch of a woman's hand. So when a Mormon shows up with his two wives in tow, the entire town gathers to leer rapturously at them. A muscle-bound, shirtless brute offers to pay $50 worth of gold dust just to hold the traveler's baby. Although it's unclear initially whether he wants to drink in its unspoiled innocence or devour it whole as an afternoon snack. Another lusty fellow gazes at Gene Seberg with a look that says, Ain't you the filly what betrays Jean-Paul Belmondo in a bout de souffle? We don't see your likes much round here. 400 men, one woman. That's a gender imbalance of downright Smurfian proportions. The fellows don't think it's right for one fella to have two wives while they have none, so a surprisingly game Seberg agrees to be auctioned off to the highest bidder. Optics ain't that good these days, 2020. Marvin isn't too drunk to recognize the deal of a lifetime, so he purchases the rights to both Seberg's Lady Virtue and her mineral resources, in air quotes, for $800. Marvin then sets about transforming his podunk mining town into a dazzling mecca of sin, and moral dissolution by kidnapping some French harlots for a two-story brothel complete with moonshine and cards and vice of every imaginable stripe. The seeds of no-name city's spiritual ruin are sown when Marvin successfully completes his mission, only to learn that Eastwood and Seabrook have fallen hopelessly in love following a brisk getting acquainted montage and a tender ballad crooned through clenched teeth by Eastwood. Ah, the getting acquainted montage. That deathless crutch of the lazy filmmaker. Why bother writing dialogue conveying characters growing attention when you can use a few soft-focused shots of Lee's gazing moodily into each other's eyes as glib shorthand for the complicated dance of courtship and consummation? Marvin is angry at first until it's decided that Marvin and Eastwood can both be Seberg's husband. Social conventions be damned. Why should Mormons have all the fun? 
Paint Your Wagon dramatizes how the West was civilized and hopelessly corrupted. No Name City becomes a sort of boomtown Sodom and Gomorrah where bears fight bulls for the depraved enjoyment of the town folk and whoring and gold dust thievery represent promising growth industries. While No Name City is devolving into a cesspool of depravity, and depravity maybe, Eastwood and Seberg discover the joys of conventional morality when they play host to strangers hung up on the whole one-man-one-woman concept of matrimony. Spoiler alert. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, No Name City ends up facing a profound reckoning when underground tunnels dug in part by Marvin and Eastwood cause the entire city to collapse in on itself while Marvin stumbles obliviously, drunkenly through the wreckage like a mutton-chop sporting Buster Keaton. Paint Your Wagon arrives at a time when musicals were rapidly losing favor with increasingly divided audiences. While the youth explosion that would soon transform Hollywood generally dug unconventional anti-heroes like Marvin and Eastwood, they weren't exactly dying to see them in bloated musicals. The Paint Your Wagon DVD thankfully includes an intermission, as if to say, Sorry this movie is so fucking long. Here's five minutes for a quick smoke break. Sorry for the language, this is how it was written. Beyond its hopelessly bloated running time, the film suffers from forgettable songs and a deathly vacuum at the center of its love triangle. Seberg is betrothed to Marvin because he paid $800 for her. Eastwood and Seberg's bond, meanwhile, is cemented during the aforementioned Getting Acquainted montage. Neither provides a solid foundation for either a love affair or a $20 million, 164-minute long epic. Apparently, we had longer attention spans back in 1970. He didn't write that, Raven, didn't. I put that in there as an editor's note. Anyway, back to this. The fuzzy passivity of Eastwood's character proves equally problematic. Marvin gets to deliver a big, brawling, funny, and cantankerous star turn, but Eastwood is stuck playing a wimpy role Ricky Nelson probably could have played just as well. Audiences watch Clint Eastwood movies to see him kick ass or take brain-damaged female boxers off life support not play house with Seberg or defer to his more charismatic life partner. Watching Eastwood croon ballads here is like stumbling onto an alternate universe where Eastwood never amounted to anything more than a second-rate teen idol, the kind of guy producers called on when Troy Donahue or Tab Hunter weren't available. Where Eastwood's singing has a light, airy quality that recalls Chet Baker, Google him, folks, Marvin opts for a less challenging speak-singing style indebted to Rex Harrison in My Fair Lady. Marvin's performance hits its apex during a wonderfully mumbled rendition of Wandering Star that attains a sort of sad majesty, a high lonesome quality the rest of the film could use a lot more of. Like a lot of the films here, Paint Your Wagon divided audiences and critics. With its central three-way marriage, debauchery, polygamy, Patty Chayefsky script, he would go on to bigger things, and unconventional stars, it was too damn weird and adult for family audiences and too corny, old-fashioned, and bloated for the druggies and stoners. Nevertheless, I can imagine at least a few acid freaks stumbled out of the theater wondering if they'd merely hallucinated seeing a three-hour-long movie where Clint Eastwood and Lee Marvin sang and danced and were married to the same woman, yet seemed kind of into each other. I can also envision them freaking out hardcore when No Name City began falling apart under the weight of its sins. I imagine it would be enough to put them off the brown acid permanently. Now at the end of every article, 
He would give his verdict on to whether the film he was writing about was either a failure, a fiasco, or a secret success. Raven pulled no punches and he said that it was simply a fiasco. Speaking of fiascos, that was much like how the Trump administration has treated this response to COVID-19. I won't get into any more of that. I'll leave politics out here and I will get you out. At uh, the end of the episode, as he tries unsuccessfully to get out of the cul-de-sac, I just want to say thank you for listening to this mini-sode of the Keep It To Yourself podcast. I want to announce a few changes here before I go. Episode 100 will be going on, but I am efforting to make it a Zoom part, because that's what everybody's doing nowadays in the day in the days of quarantine. Sorry for that little stumble there. I don't sound like Porky Pig. So I'm saying that Frank Sakari is going to be involved. Don't quote me on it, though. Don't quote me on it. Whenever I'm able to get the gang together, or as much of them as I possibly can, we will do it. We'll get episode 100 out of the way, done, finished, etc. In fact, I might start recording later this week. Who knows? We'll see what happens. And I also want to announce that I now have two episodes of my other podcast called Crime. Capital C, capital R, I M E. It's all about true crime here in New York's capital region. I have two episodes under my belt. I just wrote the script for episode three. And I can't preview anything right now, but actually I will. We're going away from murder. That's all I'm saying. That was the first two episodes. One was about an abduction and a murder, and the second one was stone cold murder. I did not. That's not what I meant, but you get it. Anyway, episode three of Crime will be out next week. And until then, once again, I wish you as happy a Passover if you're of the Jewish faith. And I wish you as happy an Easter if you're like me, a Catholic, Christian, etc. As you could have given the circumstances we're in currently. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Episode 100 hopefully will not be too much longer in coming. But as ever, I thank you for listening. And as always, and above all else, especially in these times, keep smiling. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.